Welcome to episode 46 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is a foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level, played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles were written to keep the hockey community up to date on all the happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are bringing you fresh content and adding voices, names, and faces to interesting people making the Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by Team Ohio. Time in the rink as a Team Ohio player is about more than competition. It's about seizing opportunities to grow as athletes, being a great teammate, and part of a community. That's why Team Ohio's premier Tier 2 hockey program welcomes youth players ages 5 to 18 years old to join the nationally lauded program. With reasonable fees, transparency, and athlete development, that has prepped players for teams at all levels. Team Ohio is here to coach players for success, both on and off the ice. Go to teamohio.com to learn more. Well, after a week break, Jay, last week we jumped back in the saddle and talked to Mercyhurst head coach, Rick Gotkin. Rick has a great perspective on the game from not only his 33 years behind the bench of the Lakers at three different levels of competition, but also as a member of the NCAA Rules Committee for both men's and women's hockey and his work with USA hockey clinics over the year. I tell you what, Jay, he really, really talked about, you know, and I'm, we're going to talk a little bit more about his coaching and all that, but he really got into his dislike of video replay. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. Um, I think that he, he wants the, I guess the human nature of the game, you know, uh, human nature and in, in, in human, interaction is going to be flawed. It's not going to be perfect. And that's kind of what makes the game great is that it's played by humans and run by humans. And, and you don't necessarily need to go back and use all this video. However, yes, it does help. And, and uh, I think we were, we were joking around uh, off, off air, if you will, about how we needed to check and see how many times he used any sort of video replay to his benefit yet still disproves of it. Right. But, I mean, he has a, he has a valid point. I mean, we're, we're, we're almost fine tuning the game to a point that it's mechanical. Right. It doesn't you know, he also, he, he, I'm sorry, Jim, but he also <laughs> talked oh, about player development uh, leading up to the college level, but at the college level, uh, as well as recruiting the right players when you're not considered a powerhouse program league. We joked about uh, you can't bring players into Erie in the middle of winter to try to recruit them <laughs> when they've got front end loaders pushing snow. Right. But but he talked about there is a college for every player and and it's okay if it's not division one it's okay if it's not division three you know i i think more people needed to hear that yeah you know it, it's it's like looking at a guy that that makes it to the east coast league or southern professional or american league and somebody says well you didn't really play pro well yes you did yeah they did there's a different level. It's okay. You still played pro hockey, right? I right. mean, so it's no different in college. And, and, you know, the stigma is, oh, you're just playing club if you're in the ACHA. And, and oh, you're only playing Division three. It's like, what do you mean? They're playing college hockey. Right. I mean, so what? And, and it, was, it, was a, it was a great talk. It was, it was fun having Coach Gotkin on. And, and um, actually, truth be told, a guy I share an office with at work, 
he uh, he's a, a Mercyhurst grad, so he was all jacked up because he you know he he bleeds the Lakers. So it was uh, he was all jacked up to listen to it. Speaking of club hockey and NCAA hockey, this week we're going to have the privilege of uh, to speak with Joe Batista. He's the author of The Power of Pragmatic Passion, Seven Common Sense Principles for Achieving Personal and Professional Success. Some of you may have heard of, of Coach Batista. Some of you may not have. Coach Batista spent 26 years at Penn State University and coached the Nittany Lions to six ACHA national championships. And he is one of the guys that helped create the ACHA. So we're going to talk to him today, and it's going to be a great conversation i got a chance to talk to coach uh during my playing days and, and it was a, it was a treat he was honest um i mean in all in all my interactions with coach batista it, it was amazing whether it be at the national tournament uh covering it for different things or whether it was in the recruiting process or, or in the in the exploratory stages of the recruiting process whatever it was joe batista is First class, top notch, all the way. Not only did he help start the ACHA, he got a Division One program for men and women at Penn State. Right, Joe Podesta's class act all the way around. So I look forward to talking to him. Not only about his role in the college level, the ACHA, the NCAA, the pro level, uh, but also his uh, journey as being an author. Because I don't know about you, Jay, but I've had the chance to read the book, and it's it's a very good book. Um, actually, I have it right here. I'm going to show it to him. Uh, so. It's a uh, uh, it's a definitely a book that that people should read. So we look forward to a great show with Coach Batista today. Uh, but before we talk to him, what's new with the crew? What's going on with you, Mister Dan Humphrey? Uh, I mean, not a whole lot. We, well, I don't um, know. You sent us a pretty good making, detailed pictures. I'm making a push to get a uh, not only the cooking with Sully, but um, a gardening segment. Uh, we got the fall, or we got the the spring garden boxes built. Um, made that nice diagram of where I'm laying everything out today at work. I sent it to my lovely wife, whose response was, "You must be bored." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "No, I'm no, busy. I'm, busy I'm just organized." Um, but no, so I figured, you know, we could do a gardening segment, and then take, you know, you take your harvest. Sully can do some cooking. And then that's when Uncle Lev pops in and, you know, decides which wine pairs well with what Sully's cooking, which I'm going to tell you right now will be anything red. (laughs) I I almost wrote that back today. I said, well, as long as it's red, I'm in. We're good. Jay, Jay, have you ever had white wine with any meal? Uh, No. But doesn't white go with like a fish or I don't know, like, you know more about this. Hell, You went to to Italy for 14 days. So that's what they tell you. Yes. Yes, it should. Yes, it does. No, I don't partake in that. Red is universal, my friends. Hello, love. Red is universal. <laughs> right? So, you know, hey, and speaking of, oh, no, we'll get into that in the news. But it, it, I love it. I love the fact that we're branching into different things. Management, that's what we got to do. We got to make, you know, we're getting, you know, we're, we're supposed to, we're supposed to tack on into the golf segment. You know, I mean, we just got, we got avenues to, to, to walk across here. I mean, we are, I mean, we are six episodes. Well now five after this one's done away from our year anniversary. So, you know, I think that ought to be a a real, that, that ought to take us into like May or something. Right. Yeah. But, uh, 
Danny, can you, what are you, see, I, the diagram you sent us today, I mean, that that looks like, I mean, I thought I had a pretty big garden. That is out of control. So I have, I built three four-foot by four-foot garden boxes. Um, and I'm using the square-foot gardening method, which my grandpa used, my dad used it when he was growing gardens. And basically, they just tell you how much stuff you can jam into a one foot by one foot square. You know, okay. so like one tomato plant fits in that square and has enough room to properly grow, but you can put 16 radish in that same square. Okay. Um, so, so next year, though, you'll have to crop rotation, though, right? Yes. So I have the three garden boxes are three separate boxes. So I so figured like, I could just rotate. Right. Okay. You know, from each right. box. One, carry the two. Keep going. Yep. <laughs> and then, you know, I had to color coordinate it by uh, when seeds need to go in. So in a couple of weeks, we got to get some, you know, some stuff in. And then. Are you going now? Are you nervous? And this is something that, that I'm just going to throw out there. Would you start your seeds indoors? Because, I mean, here in Cleveland, we may in April get a frost. If it happens, it happens. Okay. We, I don't, I mean, I don't, we have started seeds indoors before and it really, to me, didn't do anything. We don't have any proper uh, windows to where we can get enough light coming in. Okay. So, right. but how's right. the garlic doing? So it's, it's, I got eight popping, which is, is, is good. I don't know what, what, what it looks like underneath the soil, but it, it's, it's weird to me that these things actually grow in like negative 10 degree weather when there's snow all over it. And that's hard for me to believe, but I look forward to putting the garden back in here soon. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do this year though. I, I don't know. Danny, I, you're going to laugh at me, but I had this long conversation on Friday with a couple coworkers. The one guy decided to uh, get into the chicken game uh, during COVID. And he says it's the most unbelievable thing that he, he's ever done. He gets, he gets, he only has four. That's plenty. Yeah. yeah he gets four eggs a day. And I, I, dude, I started looking up the chicken, man. I, 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 if you need a guy, I know someone who can get you a good deal. Right. I mean, I just, I don't know where I would put the coop. I don't he'll know if my dog. will sell you the chicks and then he'll buy, buy them back from you when you don't need them anymore. When they stop laying. I got, I got to talk to this guy because I, I don't know how long it takes for them to like, when I get them as, as chicks and then they, they start laying eggs. Cause I'm telling you my house, we eat a dozen of eggs easily a day. So I mean, this thing could pay for itself over and over again. There's going to be a little stand outside of his house. No, the, I mean, the I'm honor, telling you, the, the honor system. We go through so many <laughs> eggs in this house that, that there's, I mean, there's no way they would go to waste. Right. My buddy has, he has this one. He was showing me pictures. The one chicken that he has lays green eggs. You, you want to know why? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, I do, but I don't know why. It's, it's the color of the egg coordinates with the color of the earlobe of the chicken are you kidding me no no come on you, you, you know who you, my dad is i, I know. know i was gonna say you can't argue with him not on this so you can have 
you know, not all white chickens will lay white eggs, not all brown chickens will lay brown eggs. It depends on the color, the earlobe of the chicken. I'm more amazed that chickens have earlobes. I did not know so, that. So, but, but, but the, the egg, it, like what's inside the egg doesn't matter, right? No. No, right. It, it's all going to taste the same. Yes. Now, can you, I mean, can you, do you now, do you buy eggs at the grocery store, Dan? Yes. Can you but taste the ha- difference? Yes. I used, you know. Because you grew up on fresh eggs all, all the time. Yeah. So now we, eggs are probably the most expensive thing we buy at the grocery store. Because you're buying, we're buying all organic, free range, like, you know, real deal eggs rather than just. Whole food. Uh, yeah. Other than the 49 cent dozen eggs. Yes. So maybe I should get a couple of chickens. I'm all for it. Okay. Well, I, might ha- I mean, I might have a guy who can sell you a chicken coop too, so. Yeah, okay. I, I might need to get a hold of this guy. I'm serious. Did you get, did you get rid of that playset in your backyard? Me? Me? Yeah, Sully. Oh, oh that, that was gone last year. The guys came and, okay. uh, Dan, and whacked it. He can absolutely fit it in his backyard. Well, you guys have seen my backyard. It's freaking huge. I, that's yeah. why I said he needs but no, to talk. But my concern, he though, needs is to the, talk to the chicken doctor. My concern is the dogs. Are the dogs going to eat the chickens? So that's a conversation probably for off-air, if they do eat the chickens, on how to solve the problem. Um, again, this is a Papa Hump solution. All right, we'll talk off-air. But I'm sure there's I'm sure there's listeners going right now, how the hell do you do it? So, so just how do you do it? So, well, first, so if the dog kills a chicken – which we had, I mean, we had bloodhounds and they would chase after them and they, you know, accidents happen, chicken dies. You have to re- get the chicken away from the dog before the dog can start to eat it. Because the moment it, like, tastes the blood, it's going to be hooked. <laughs> but then to break that addiction, you take said dead chicken and you tie it around, take a string, tie it around a dog's neck. Now, you can't do this with your dogs because they come in the house. But when we had bloodhounds, they were outdoors all the time. So you could tie it around and eventually, obviously, it starts to rot. Are you kidding me? No, that's serious. Dog then smells that enough and then it wants nothing to do with the chickens after that. Then they had a coyote problem because the coyotes were chasing the bloodhounds around because they like the smell of the blood too. Yep. Dude, that was, we had a coyote problem. My. The last bloodhound my dad had passed away. The next morning, there was probably 10 dead chickens in the field next to our house. Because the dog wasn't there to protect the chickens. Keep, protect the chickens. And you guys had like 200 chickens, right? Yes. And it was a big moneymaker. So, you know, Papa Hump was, was all happy. fired up that day. Lost in margins, Papa Hump was not happy. Oh my gosh! All right, yeah, I'm not sticking a dead chicken around the dog's neck, and I'm I'm gonna wake up in the middle of the night as the dog's laying next to me, smelling like <laughs> rotten chicken. So it's not gonna happen. So yes, anyhow. I just gave you a solution. No, I know, I know, but I'm sure our listeners wanted to know what what is the one of the ways to cure it. So right now, somebody's looking at their phone or device and going, "What the hell are you listening to?" Love, what's oh, new with you? Ho- it's this hockey podcast. These guys are great. Um. I'm nothing, man. I got a chance to get away last weekend and, and uh, go up to the middle of the woods and kind of re- restart, recharge the battery, if you will. And that's it, man. That's I got. I, I, how am I supposed to follow the chicken no. doctor and all that and your no, gardening no. stuff? And, you know, hello, love. But anyway, 
No, I got nothing new, man. It's just uh, happy that it's getting a little bit warmer out and more time to be outside. I had a, I had a great week and I finally had the opportunity and, and obviously hockey's just wrapped up for us, but um, I had the opportunity to, to go and, and watch uh, one of my daughters play uh, in a volleyball tournament, uh, uh, a club JO volleyball tournament. So that was really special to me. That was great. Cause I, Obviously, with the hockey season going so long, I've missed a lot of things. So um, that was good. So it was it was nice to do that. And uh, uh, short week this week with uh, Easter coming. Uh, I don't know, Danny, you had anywhere? I'm going to head to Florida for a few days. I know Lev, you're going to go to Illinois and visit some family. Mm-hmm. Going to be driving the combine. Oh yeah, why not, man? Hey, uh, I'll ask around, see about uh, crop turnover in that. Yeah. Maybe plant a, plant yourself a nice co- uh, cover crop. You know, they can hear me upstairs, so I'm sure I'm going to get questions when I get upstairs. Right, right. I, I actually was able to play golf last week. It was it was kind of fun. Um, but as the uh, weather is turning and we're able to now transition into gardening and golf, let's transition into the news and see what's in the news on the Ohio Hockey Digest. Lakewood, Ohio native and former Cleveland Baron goaltender Adam Scheel was on the losing end of the longest game in the history of NCAA on Saturday night slash Sunday morning. With friend of the show, Dave Starman on the call, Shields, North Dakota Fighting Hawks, lost 3-2 to two to the two-time defending NCAA champs from Minnesota Duluth in a game that went into a fifth overtime. That's full 20-minute periods. In all, Shield made 51 saves in the game, which lasted a total of 142 minutes and 13 seconds. The previous record was 123 minutes and 53 seconds set by St. Lord's and Boston University in 2000. Lev, you and I coached a five overtime game. It was not 20 minute periods, no. but my gosh. I, you know, we also played in a couple of them in our day that yeah. were kind of long too, but um, I can't imagine. I mean, you know what, these guys, you're, you're playing for a berth in the final four and that stinks. I mean, it stinks for North Dakota. Stinks for UMD. But, you know, like they say, somebody has to win and, and you know, good on them. And I, I got a chance to see a clip today of the uh, of uh, UMDs uh, celebrating and the goaltender went over and uh, mm-hmm. I don't say consoled, but, you know, gave his whatever, made his feelings known to uh, Adam Scheel. And, and that was a nice gesture. And you could see the players, the respect they had for each other and, and, playing that long and it stinks there's there's things if you're a north dakota fan it, it's great if you're a umd fan right but 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 there's something to say about that clip that you saw because i saw the same clip yeah so that's i mean there's a difference and we talked last week about sportsmanship yep. and gamesmanship yep. that's sportsmanship 100%. you know we know too many players coaches whatever that are on the losing end that just walk off and don't shake hands or do anything like that right yeah I, I yeah. give all the credit in the world to both those teams. Two classy teams. No one likes to lose. No. But you know what, though? I, I got to feel that that goaltender from uh, Minnesota Duluth didn't like to win the way that he won. I mean, of course, he likes to win, but goes over and sees a fellow goaltender. As they're surrounding him, he leaves his guys celebrating to go over and console. You know, one of the other things that, that I noticed in the clip was that while they scored the goal, obviously, in North Dakota's end, and they celebrated a bit, then they got out of there. 
Yeah, right. Just and you know, it's just like you said, sportsmanship, gamesmanship. You know, great, good on, good on all those players. Good on them all. Powell, Ohio native Spencer Cox has committed to play NCAA Division One hockey at Long Island University. The Sharks played their first varsity season in 2020-2021, posting a 3-10 record, playing an independent schedule made up almost entirely of games against opponents from the Atlantic Hockey Association, which includes Mercyhurst and Robert Morris. Cox is currently playing for the Chippewa Steel in the Tier 2 North American Hockey League following a four-year prep career at Culver Military Academy. The National Hockey League removed veteran referee Tim Peel from the officiating schedule after Nashville's TV broadcast caught him on a hot mic saying, it wasn't much, but I wanted to get a effing penalty against Nashville early. Peel has officiated 1,334 NHL games and was scheduled to retire after the season. Jay, I, 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 <laughs> is it an open secret that officials sometimes manage games? Uh, I don't want to say, I, I'm going to say this. Do officials at any level manage games to either get a team or to prove to the other team or the spectators that they're not for a team. No. You don't think so? I don't believe so. Okay. I I will tell you I have seen things that could make me go the other way. And I'm not talking recent. I'm talking over the course of the time I've been a coach and that I've seen different things. I mean, I'll be honest with you. We were we were had a game uh, over here in Cleveland and I disagreed with an official and I made it well known what I thought of it, what I thought of the call and complained a little too long. Fortunately, he didn't bench, give us a bench, but he made a call later on that I had to explain to the player. um, That wasn't because of you. That was because of me. He made that call because I made him mad and he was going to show me. Now that's how I felt. Do I honestly think that that referees do that? Do I even think regardless of what he said, do I think that's what he felt? No, I don't. I, I want to believe that. I want to believe that because even when we spoke with uh, Don Van Massenhoven, mm-hmm. I asked him this question, have you ever made a makeup call? And now seeing this, that question was disrespectful to him. You know, when I first saw this and I read this and I watched the clips of it and all that, that's the first thing I thought of was I need to contact him and tell him, apologize because that's a disrespectful question. That's the integrity of the game, the integrity of the person. Am I saying Tim Peel is, is, uh, less of an individual for what he was caught saying. No, I don't know him, but I don't, I I don't really think that he is sitting there saying, I want to screw Nashville. No, no, I I agree. I agree with that. I mean, I, 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 I may not be as political correct as you are right now. Do I feel that there's instances to where referees at any level want to prove they're either, one one way or the other. One way or the other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Call me a little bitter right now. It is what it is. Right? However, what about the producer of that TV? Should that producer maybe should have not had that hot mic going? Again, what Tim Peel said isn't right. True. <clears throat> now, I saw – I want to jump in on that because I saw the, the alleged – penalty in question and 
I, I am I am a person that wants to believe the good in people. So I look at it and go, that wasn't much. I, I missed one earlier. I made that call. I know it wasn't much. That was the first thing that ran to my head. That's that's my interpretation of what he said at first. Well, now, I mean, I know he's retiring at the end of the year. Regard, he was he was supposed to retire at the end of the year. Now they just gave him the early gate and said, "Nah, you're done." But I, I don't know, man. I, I there's instances all around that can tell you that there's makeup calls made day in day out. Uh, do you want to believe that? I, I don't want to believe that, but sometimes there's things out there that makes that question creep into your head. Right. I mean, I have another question. Um, we spoke with, you know, uh, we're speaking with uh, Coach Batista, and and he spent some time in the Buffalo system. And and what is good? What do you think uh, Bambi and the Rockers are thinking of the the state of affairs in Buffalo? Buffalo. Buffalo. In Buffalo. Dude, I'm going to tell you right now, Bambi and the Rockers are absolutely disgusted oh. with, with the product that's on the ice in Buffalo right now. In Buffalo. So here's the thing. So I was I was reading a, a guy online, uh, a, a professional. His name his name was uh Matt his, his name is Matthew Barnaby. And Matthew I Barnaby, saw, yep. Matthew, when he said he said, I've been telling you for over 10 years it's a mess. Yes. And you know through some through some others that we know that we, we also understand that it is a mess. So I can only imagine the rockers just being up in arms, uh, Bambi included. I mean, they're huge Sabre fans. What was it? What was the name of that? The, who's their uh, mascot? Yes. Uh, I, uh, I talked that to little, everybody. that little yeah. thing that runs around. Yeah. It's a saber saber tooth. What do they call them? <laughs> Danny? What's the mascot in Buffalo? Buffalo. Give me a second. I'm looking it up. I yeah. figured you were. Let's call it right. Like, like, dude, when you get close to the, the American and Canadian border, yeah. you can either go through one thing or you can go through Buffalo. Buffalo. Sabretooth. Sabretooth. Okay. Yeah, they, they, you know, they're out there posing for pictures. That, that's a good getup. They don't get a good thing going up there. <laughs> I, I'm just telling you, I think they're they're. I mean, it's a it's it is not a dumpster fire. It is just an oh, explode it and start it over. Absolutely. But anyways, no. Back to the the, the, the I was thinking about because I got some notes here about things I wanted to ask you about. But you know, do I think the producer should be in trouble for leaving the mics hot? No, I don't. They should be reprimanded. Yes. You know, the producer didn't get oh, Tim yeah, Peel yeah. fired. No, no, he, Tim no, no, Peel he, got Tim Peel fired, and I'm not saying you said that otherwise. I, no, no, I, no, no, no. I know but, how you feel. But you, you, you said a great point. Tim Peel got Tim Peel fired. Oh, 100 percent. Nobody else got Tim Peel fired, right? I mean, you know, you have a mic on. But it doesn't matter when I don't you care when you said. when you make a statement. You own that statement. And behind it, own right? It. True. So Tim I'm Peel knew what he was saying. He made that statement. Tim Peel got Tim Peel fired. I only brought that up as, as a, honestly, I brought that up as just like kind of a, a reference point. Like, yeah. Oh, everyone's going to go after the person that didn't shut the mic off. Oh, I know. But no one goes after the person that actually made the statement. Yes. hundred you know, percent. So, Oh, that's, dude, that's commonplace. You see, but it, it also, it leads me to a question I asked uh, a, a previous guest. 
Mr. Michael Rupp, if the NHL went to mic'd up players and referees and sold it as pay-per-view, I would buy it. It would be entertainment at its best. One of the things that has come out of the uh, amount of fans that are allowed to be there is you can hear things. You can hear things on TV telecasts. You can hear things on the guys between the benches if they're even allowed. Sometimes they just put a mic there now because they don't have the person in between benches. You hear some of the funniest stuff. You hear some of the greatest things going. I mean, I was watching something the other day on, on the best hockey chirps, and you listen to these guys go, it is so funny. And do, does this condone what Tim Peel said? No. But without talking to Tim Peel, do we really know what he meant? No. You have to protect the integrity of the game. How did it appear? Tim Peel, thanks for your career. Yeah, seriously. You were set to retire. Hey. It, it's unfortunate. It stinks. Hey. Hey. Nobody hey. wants it. However, you did it to yourself, and that sucks. I don't know. I mean, I haven't read anything, but we haven't heard from Tim Peel denying it. He couldn't, but we could hear what he, what he meant by that. Maybe. Sure. But, but how many people say things and then blame others for that? Have you been on social media? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, dude, the, dude, the two buzzing. The Twitter fingers are buzzing, dude. The Twitter thumbs are crazy, dude. Because people can't figure it out. They can't get out of their own way, man. No, so. no, 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 not at all. And it's 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 a it's a, a <laughs> it's a sign of the times, man. It's it is what it is. I mean, look at you know. I was talking to somebody, a friend of mine, this weekend, and we were talking about that. You know, he's a he's a, a writer and a comedian, and he was telling me how. We were talking about different comedians and, and what he likes about some and what he dislikes about others. And he said, you made a mistake in your life. Own up to it. Say it in your act. He actually brought up Richard Pryor, which is one of his favorite artists. And he said, Richard Pryor got all bent up one time and he lit himself on fire. He goes, Richard Pryor came out in his first show. He took a match. He lit it. And he said, you ever hear this one yet? Here's Richard Pryor running down the street. So, right. you know, just fess it, fess up to it, own, to it, own it, and let's move on. And I have no idea where the hell that was coming from or going to, so I'll just leave it at that. All right. Let's see what's going on with the Cleveland Monsters in this week's Monsters Minute. The Cleveland Monsters took two of three games against the Texas Stars at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse last week to improve to 6-5, 1-0 on the year. Good for 13 points and fourth place in the Central Division. Cleveland took the series opener 3-1 on Thursday night as goaltender Brad Thiessen stopped 31 of 32 shots and Tyler Angle scored twice, including a shorthanded go-ahead goal late in the third period. On Saturday, the Monsters pulled ahead 3-0 early in the second period before allowing four unanswered goals and a 4-3 loss. Former Monster Derek Barash scored the game-winning goal short-handed midway through the third period while Liam Foodie scored his first of the year for Cleveland. Sunday's rubber match saw the Monsters jump out to a 3-0 lead in the opening period before Texas fought back within 3-2 at the second intermission. Evan Poli gave the Monsters some insurance on a backhanded feed from Carson Meyer 8 minutes into the third period before Tyler Sakura added an empty netter to make it a 5-2 final. This week, the Monsters will take on the Rochester Americans on the road on Wednesday before hosting the Grand Rapids Griffins on Saturday night. Blue Jackets' top goaltending prospect, Daniil Tarasov, is expected to join the Monsters as early as Wednesday's game after his season in his native Russia came to an end last week. The Monsters Minute is brought to you by the Ohio Hockey Project, Northeast Ohio's leader in player development and advancement. 
take your training to the next level this offseason with the Ohio Hockey Project. The second period of this episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Hockey Project, Northeast Ohio's leader in player development and advancement. Take your training to the next level this offseason with the Ohio Hockey Project. Visit www.ohiohockeyproject.com to learn about spring drop-in sessions or to register for a summer league draft. Before we get to uh, Coach Batista, we have some more news to break here on the podcast this week. Management heard from the Cincinnati Cyclones of the East Coast Hockey League yesterday, and they asked to get on air a few minutes so they could tell us about an exciting announcement they are making this week. Let's welcome Jim Mitchell onto the show. Jim, welcome to On Air. Uh, Thanks for joining us tonight. So what is this breaking hockey news down in Cincinnati that you want to share with us? So uh, I have partnered with the Cincinnati Cyclones of the East Coast League, and we are bringing a USPHL Junior Cyclones to Cincinnati to play out of Heritage Bank Arena. Oh, my gosh. That is exciting exciting news. Congratulations, Jim. Congratulations. So what will your role be? And tell us a little bit about the structure of the program. So I'm going to be the head coach and GM. Um, I'm going to be partnering with uh, Matt Thomas, head coach of the Cyclones. He's going to be our director of uh, hockey ops for the junior team, as well as the head coach of the Cyclones. So it's going to be a a full partnership between myself and the Cyclones coaching staff. And really our goal is to bring in, you know, guys that don't have the opportunity, like a lot of kids up in Michigan and in Minnesota and things like that to play junior hockey, but to come in and get that extra development after high school and, and get the opportunity to continue to play. So the league has not announced uh, their division alignment yet. Can you talk to us a little bit about where you might, you know, we might see you guys fall in to a division or how that might work? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there was, there's two divisions that I see us falling in. It's either the great lakes division that has the Mavericks and, and Wooster and Toledo, or I could see the Midwest East, which has the Chicago Cougars, uh, Fort Wayne, um, those divisions. So I, I'm hoping it's the Great Lakes division, but they haven't told me anything yet. But either one is, is a pretty good location for us. So this is exciting news as, as we, you know, we talk about every week on this podcast that we're, you know, growing the game the best we can. So this is an opportunity to grow the game, not only in the state of Ohio, but the Southern West part of like Ohio, Kentucky and all that. Can, can you talk to us how this will complement the hockey development and the ecosystem uh, in Southwest Ohio? So, yeah. So the big thing is, is, you know, I got this kind of started, I've been working on this for kind of for two years and, you know, I, I was going down one path and then talking to the USPHL and they, they weren't, you know, that wasn't the path they felt was right. So I actually, my, my 11 year old played with Matt Thomas at, on the junior cyclone. So the junior cyclones are starting to really dig down and, and go to that youth level and, and develop teams at those younger levels. So I started talking to Matt and then I talked to Kristen, the GM and vice president of the cyclones and, you know, kind of told him I'd like to bring a junior team to town and, it fit that development model of having the youth programs with the junior cyclones all the way up into that, that uh, junior A program. So, you know, the goal of this is to continue to grow hockey in, in Southern Ohio by giving kids, you know, the local kids, you know, there's a junior program now that they can play in instead of, you know, having to move away. You know, my two boys had to move away and they played in Hudson in the USPHL. Um, so it's one of those things where, 
now kids don't have to leave. They see the junior team in, in town. They can work with them. And really, it's the model that the, the Mavericks are kind of doing in Columbus, right? So, you know, it only makes sense to do the same thing in Cincinnati. So that was kind of the development behind this and the process and the thinking behind it is now it gives us an opportunity to really continue and to continue to grow that junior cyclones program. Awesome. Coach, uh, first of all, or uh, we want to thank you for, for choosing this platform to announce this, this unbelievable announcement and the growth of hockey. If, if people want to get information since you guys are making this announcement, how can they get information on your club? So they can, they can call me. Um, it, It'll be on the uh, website when they announce it, when it's announced, they can email me and, and or go to cycloneshockey.com and there'll be a, a link uh, to a webpage uh, underneath their uh, Junior Cyclones Foundation. Awesome. Well, coach, congratulations. Thank you for coming on and breaking that news. Uh, this is the head coach Jim Mitchell of the new Cincinnati Cyclones USPHL premier team. Coach, congratulations again. Thank you guys. I appreciate the time. Well, Jay, that's some exciting news coming out of Cincinnati. And, and again, we talk about growing this game every week, it seems like. And there's just another opportunity for kids to be able to play uh, uh, closer to home if they're in southwest Ohio or not. There's another opportunity for them to go play junior hockey. Any chance you can, you can add a team instead of subtract a team as a bonus? The fact that it's going uh, in affiliation with the East Coast Hockey League team in Cincinnati is great. Uh, it's another avenue. It's another another place for kids that maybe are hesitant to leave home. You know, they may now, as coach said, you know, they don't necessarily have to leave home. There's a junior team right in their backyard, and that's fantastic. Right. Let's get on air with author and coach Joe Batista. Joe Batista has served in numerous capacities in business, intercollegiate athletics, and with professional sports team, including vice president of hockey and business administration for the Buffalo Sabres and Director of Amateur Hockey Development for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He spent 26 years at Penn State University in several positions, including Associate Athletic Director, Executive Director of the Nittley Lion Club, and 19 years as head coach of the Penn State hockey team, where his players won 512 games and six ACHA National Championship. Please welcome on air, winner of the American Hockey Coaches Association 2014 Lou Lamarillo Award and a member of the American Collegiate Hockey Association and Pennsylvania Sports Hall of Fame, Coach Joe Patista. Welcome, Coach. Hey, that, that was quite the introduction. I mean, I, I hope I can live up to all that. You know, it's, uh, you know what all that means, by the way? I'm old. <laughs> well, well, Coach, I think, uh, I think you definitely have lived up to that for sure. And, and we look forward to uh, our listeners getting to learn a little bit about you, uh, about your history in the game. Uh, obviously, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your uh, – uh, your role in becoming an author. And so it, it'll be, it'll be kind of a, a, a hodgepodge of, of different information, but I know our, a lot of our listeners are going to really enjoy hearing your story. So your career is, is taking you into being an administrator and an author, but this is a hockey podcast coach. So let's establish <laughs> your hockey resume for our listeners out there who might not be familiar with your background. You not only coached the American hockey association team for at Penn state for 19 years, but you won six national championships. Can you talk to us about your hockey uh, upbringing and how you ended up at Penn State and how you got that that machine? Because, Coach, I played against that machine. Uh, that machine is rolling. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Uh, well, I, I was like a lot of 
kids my age from my era. I grew up in uh, Pittsburgh and uh, don't hold that against me, but uh, the, uh, you know, you, you played baseball, you played football, you played basketball. Hockey was really not that big a thing back in those days in uh, growing up in the Steel City. And uh, my father made the mistake of taking my brother and I to a Penguins game in 1969 when they gave away free street hockey sticks. Today, <laughs> my father says it was the most expensive free thing <laughs> I ever got. <laughs> it's like the, it's like the free beer at the casino at the blackjack table, right? Oh, yeah, keep, keep them coming, right? So uh, we, uh, so my brother and I started playing. Uh, fell in love with it. Played a lot of street hockey. We we played uh, roller hockey, uh, and then you know we we had a nice rink in the Monroeville Mall. Uh, so my parents would go shopping. They dropped my brother and I off. We started playing, learn to play hockey programs. Uh, fell in love with the sport. Got to a point where you know nothing else mattered to us. And uh, you know I I was very naive, you know, like a lot of kids again back in that era. I know much about college hockey, uh, but there were all these rumors that Penn State was going to build this new ice arena and the program might go Division One. And I was a pretty good student in high school. Uh, you know, my guidance counselor was like, uh, Joe, you're good at math and science. Uh, you know, you ever think about being an engineer? Penn State's got a great engineering program. I was like, sure. When do we drop the puck? Yeah. And that's, that's all I, you know, I, I just, I didn't know what I was doing. So uh, I ended up at Penn State essentially by accident because I was being recruited at Notre Dame as a walk-on by Rick Schaefer back in the Lefty Smith era. And uh, I, uh, but I couldn't get into school on my own. And I wasn't a good enough player that they were willing to take a, a chance on me. So uh, I ended up at Penn State three days after I got on campus, guys. Coach Paterno turned the existing ice rink that was there at that time into an indoor AstroTurf football practice facility. So not only was I not going to get to play varsity hockey, it didn't look like we're going to have any hockey at all. Fast forward, uh, we saved the program. They built us a temporary outdoor rink. We finally got the Greenberg ice rink built, which is the one you're familiar with. Um, and that's where I played my first two seasons at Penn State. And then we are my last two seasons at Penn State. And, uh, you know, I, I was president of a hockey club, fell in love with the sport. I ended up between my junior and senior year taking a trip to Miami of Ohio University. You may have heard of that place. And Steve Cady and Bill Davidge, Mitch Korn, um, Mike Norton, those guys put on a USA Hockey Coaches Clinic at their campus. And that was, I went there and got certified level one and two, fell in love with it, switched my major, got out of engineering, ended up getting a business degree and decided I, I want to work in the hockey business the rest of my life. And uh, I ended up getting an internship with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I got a job with the Penguins initially in sales and marketing, became the director of amateur hockey development, started coaching the junior Penguins. Next thing I know, um, I'm in the coaching business. So then I went to Kent State 
another Ohio hockey school back when they were a, a varsity team there. We were an independent uh, back in 1986 uh, and, and uh, 85, 86. And, uh, I did a you know year as a grad assistant there under Chico Wallen, and uh, then became an assistant coach at Culver Military Academy. And I, after only being there a year, the job at Penn State opened up for assistant arena director, hockey coach, hockey camp director. I went, said, I'll give it five years. If I can't get this program up to Division One status, I'll get on with my life. 20 years later, I was still there. <laughs> so it, uh, but it, it worked out. In my experience uh, with uh, both uh, the club hockey program at Penn State and then ultimately, you know, being able to be a part of the Pagula uh, gift and building Pagula Ice Arena, you know, I, I'm one of those very lucky people whose dreams came true. So, so Coach, what year did you go to Penn State? Uh, I was – I, I, I was a freshman as a player in 1978, but then I, I ended up becoming a head coach at 27 years of age. So 1987 is when I ended up at Penn State as the coach. So four years later, you were actually on the ground floor of helping with the creation of the ACHF. Yes. Um, take us back to the beginning of what is now a coast-to-coast over 500-team <laughs> league. You know, what, what was your guys' vision back then? Well, we, we knew we had to do something because it was growing. That, that was obvious. And, and there was a lot of interest. There were several different organizations out there, separate leagues across the country, but there was no one, you know, rules sanctioning uh, body and, you know, eligibility, that sort of thing. And we had a situation where in 1991 – North Dakota State was by far, you know, in most people's estimations, the best team in the, in the club uh, world. And the way we were set up back then, they weren't even going to get an invite to the national tournament, okay? Because whoever got to host the national tournament got to decide who came to the tournament. So we put enough pressure back then on that individual that they were forced to take North Dakota state and they seated them eighth North Dakota state didn't matter. They still ended up winning the national championship that year. Um, and it, and it became obvious to all of us, look, there's gotta be a better way to do this. And I ended up having a meeting with Tom Keegan, uh, who was the uh, publisher of the athletic uh, guide publishing uh, book that talked all about college hockey and amateur hockey and prep school hockey, et cetera. And we met in uh, Skokie in, at, in Illinois uh, during what was, used to be called the U.S. High School Invitational Tournament. And uh, we ended up meeting with Al Murdoch, the head coach of Iowa State University, and said, you know what, it's time we tried to put something together that was more than just this loose affiliation of teams and schools. And uh, so we went out. And we got together with uh, a bunch of the other people from uh, Ohio University and Arizona and uh, Kent State and Michigan-Dearborn. Um, and uh, the group of Division II schools at that time was predominantly out in California. So San Jose State and UC, USC and, you know, those schools. Um, and, and, you know, next thing we know, there were probably about 48 of us that first year. And then 
during the 90s, it just exploded. And, you know, until recently, uh, you know, it's over 500 teams in five divisions, three men's, two women's. And uh, I can tell you that, you know, most people think that, you know, either winning a championship or, you know, getting that Pagul Ice Arena project built. Yeah, those are those are amazing uh, accomplishments. I got to tell you, helping to start the ACHA to me has impacted so many young men and women that got to represent their schools playing an organized form of college hockey. And that to me is more important than anything else that I've personally accomplished in hockey. I, I, absolutely. And, and I mean, you know, we, we, uh, uh, we see many kids uh, jump to that ACHA level, whether it's division one, two, three, even the, the girls that go and it, it, the hockey and, and I think coach, you would agree with me, the hockey today, the, the competition level today compared to the competition level back in the early nineties is, I mean, it's not even close. No, no. And, and I, you know, trying to explain, you know, you, know, you hate to compare, but the, the point is we have so much better uh, coaching now, you know, in part, large part of that is, you know, the fact that USA hockey and, and uh, hockey Canada have done a, uh, you know, really good job of training a lot of coaches. I know there's people that are critical of some of the things that they do that, but overall, we, we are so much more uh, aware of what it took. It wasn't just about X's and O's. It was about skill development. It was about teaching kids, you know, skating, most importantly, and then all the other skills that it took, not just the strategies and the tactics, but we got better at that. And rinks started springing up all over Ohio and Pennsylvania and Indiana. You know, they were already in Michigan and places like that. But now, you know, it's amazing. No matter where you go, you're going to find hockey rinks. And that's why I try and explain to people, you know, back in the 90s that we go to University of Arizona and there were 7,000 people at the game. And they'd say, for club hockey? Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, our games with, with Ohio university, either, whether they were at Penn state, you know, yeah, we didn't have 7,000 people, but we had 2000 and that atmosphere was amazing. And, you know, you had Georgia playing Georgia tech and a lot of people didn't, there were 5,000 people at those games. (laughs) USC's playing UCLA, 4,000 people at the game. And we always knew that hockey was just ready to burst. And, uh, you know, has it, has it, you know, totally gone to the level that we had hoped? Maybe, maybe not quite, but it's in a good spot uh, across the country and and into Canada. And, you know, I I think that uh, those of us that have played it, have coached in it, that passion, you know, you wish you could give it, you know, out, (laughs) just put it in people's water bottles and, you know, (laughs) because hockey people are different. We are. Mostly in a good way. <laughs> well, the, the 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 pride beaming from you. I know we just use the audio of this, but the pride beaming from you as you talk about that is motivational, inspirational, and just fantastic to watch, Coach. And Thank and you. the Thank fact you. that the ACHA is in the place it is is a testament to all the work that everybody put in, yourself especially included, in the early days to make it just something so amazing that you know we have numerous teams here in Ohio, let alone across bordering states that just makes rivalry games. I mean, Kentucky playing it at midnight 
that's fantastic. And and I've been to some of the bird arena games where 2000 people seem like about 10,000 and it was nice and loud. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I had a guy at, a, at bird arena that used to dress up like me and stand. <laughs> no, he had a mustache. He had the glasses. He had the stenographer's pad. And, you know, and I'd, I'd kind of look over my shoulder and hey, wait, he actually came to my <laughs> retirement party. <laughs> so, you know, the 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 respect that we all had there were some very bitter rivalries back you know whether, whether it was you know uh, iowa state and ohio university or michigan dearborn and penn state you know delaware and west virginia the, those sorts of things uh you know but there was always that level of respect sure you know and 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 the the friendships that i had um you know during a time and it wasn't always easy guys i gotta tell you those first few years boy we we butted heads but it's the old uh forming storming norming and performing uh <laughs> model of uh put, bringing an organization together and we certainly had our share of storms and i give all those people that were a part of that back then you know, you, you know, you don't hear a, a lot of the names sometimes, and it's a shame. And, and actually, this was the 30th anniversary of the ACHA. We actually did a, an hour-long video. A lot of the people that were, you know, Don Spencer and uh, Al Murdoch and Marshall Stevenson and, you know, I'm, I'm going to forget Tom Keegan, obviously. You know, there were lots and lots of people that, that came back, were part of that. And then covid just wiped it out, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, it's a shame because, you know, that story should be told. I mean, I, I think there's an awful lot of the young uh, players in the ACHA that maybe don't understand the sacrifices that were made in the early days that got it to where it is today. Josh Brandwing was an outstanding uh, president, probably the president during the greatest period of growth. Uh, in the ACHA, but the, the 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 people that have kept it going, Craig Barnett, who's the current executive director, you know, he was the guy that started the Finley program yeah. and was the coach there for years in Ohio. So, and I, you know, the 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 rivalries made it so much fun. You know, I I you know just Dan Morris and I, you know, I got to coach against him when he was a player. Right. Mm -hmm. I got to coach against him, and and we've stayed friends ever since and uh, a lot of good times a lot of good memories especially when we used to go down to the american hockey coaches association uh, out of florida <laughs> so, coach real quick before lev sure. gets on to the next question <clears throat> you, you said you guys did make a video for that yes and i i don't think they ever uh, actually released it i think they were waiting uh, because of COVID. So I don't know that it ever made it out. And I'll, I'll have to follow up with Craig Barnett on that uh, to, to see. But it was really a, a chance for us to, uh, we had a little forum with all, yeah. the, all the different founders and talked about some of the stories that led, you know, because, you know, a guy, a guy that will never get the credit that he deserves is uh, Don Spencer, who was the coach at West Virginia back in those days, because he was our Thomas Jefferson. He's the guy that wrote the Declaration of Independence for the ACHA. <laughs> and and uh, he was really, um, we were so fortunate to have him and the leadership that we had from several of the other people, um, you know, and, and that passion. I mean, if there was one thing we all had in common, Jason, you met, I mean, it was passion, passion yeah. for the sport, love of the sport, and, and to, to see it grow and, you know, uh, 
you know, some of the people and I, you know, Hey, I, I recruited a lot of Ohio kids to Penn state that made a big difference and helped us win a lot of championships. And, um, and we, again, we always had a great rivalry, whether it was Kent state, whether it was, um, Ohio University, you know, we, we played, uh, you know, games back in the days against Miami, Ohio's club team, um, you know, and now, you know, to be able to, to see, you know, what, what has become of the ACHA, how big it got. And, you know, it's, it's, you cannot ignore the, the sheer numbers of the organization and it's, it's amazing. Well, I will say one of the Ohio guys that you recruited and played for you, uh, Jay, uh, Jason and I are good friends with, and, and every single time we're at his house in his basement, it's all Penn State, this and that. <laughs> Do- Donnie Coyne lets us know all the time. Oh, every day. Every day that he's a Nittany Lion. So, uh, hey. Donnie, I know you listen to our, our podcast, so there you go, Coach. Uh, coach is on <laughs> one of one of the best, uh, not just best players, but you know, one of my favorite people to be around. Um, you know, and and don't I, you know, talk about passion. Donnie, Donnie had that for the game, love of life, just uh, you know, uh, tremendous talent. Lucky we got him and Jason Zivkovic, you know, who played in Cleveland, their junior A hockey, and that was a turning point for us, you know, being able to get some of those guys out of uh, that program. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you guys, you've, you've developed so many good hockey players out of the programs that you have there. And, you know, whether it was St. Ed's or St. Ignatius, you know, and I used to love coming up there and, uh, you know, it was a nice, easy trip across Interstate 80 for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, uh, you know, the biggest thing, the biggest challenge we had, quite frankly, was, you know, we didn't have a lot of financial aid available for the out-of-state kids and they had to, you know, either show need or earn a academic scholarship. You know, we didn't give athletic scholarships, but, you know, Johnny Farrell, who played at St. Ignatius. I'm sure, you know, you guys know them. Oh, yeah. and, you know, I like to tell the story in my book. I write about a guy that, you know, not a lot of people know about VJ Nardi. Um, and VJ grew up in Cleveland and, uh, you know, actually uh, got to a point where he, you know, he was a solid player for us, but VJ wanted to be a doctor. And, <laughs> you know, I had to have this kind of heart to heart talk with him and his dad. And we, we sat down and we worked it all out and, and said, listen, you can keep practicing with the team, but, you know, I want you to focus on school. You know, you gotta, you gotta nail your MCATs, et cetera, et cetera. It, talk about a courageous decision. VJ ended up deciding he had to kind of get out of hockey, you know, playing for the, the icers. Um, well, he's a cardiovascular surgeon today in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, you know, okay. Yeah. Is, is, is hockey, uh, you know, career cut got cut a little short that took a lot of courage on his part and it was very pragmatic for him to do what he did and i'm so proud still stay in touch with him and you know jason dickey and you know a lot of the other guys from from that neck of the woods that you know and my even the guys that i coached um when i was i was only at kent state for a year a lot of those guys still good friends you know and including the staff from uh Miami of Ohio, Steve Cady and Bill Davidge and Mitch Korn and I have stayed in touch over the years. So uh, a lot of, a lot of great memories. Good, good. Coach, you keep name dropping. They're going to call us for residuals on this. Episode. <laughs> 
I, I do know that they're, they're gonna I do, want us to replay this like three times. I knew Bubba's gonna Bubba's gonna ask for this one on a laser disc uh, or something. Listen, you know I'm that's coming right tomorrow. Donnie Coyne <laughs> is not gonna let us live this down. Low. No, you know that. Right? That's no. okay. Well, oh no. he's gonna want his picture on the website. Uh, now it's gonna be. Oh, he's a handful. But yeah. coach, over all those years at Penn State, it obviously it took a lot of, I guess, a lot of 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 help, financial help, and to say you have experience in fundraising would be an understatement. You were instrumental in facilitating the largest philanthropic, I hope I said that right, gift in Penn State history. I This number is going to blow my mind. $102 million from Terry and Kim Pagula, owner of the Bills and, and the Sabres, to build the Pagula Ice Arena and establish both men's and women's NCAA Division I ice hockey programs. How did that whole process, I know, I know you guys have been pushing for Division I for a long time. And yep. I know there's a lot that goes into it. How did the Pagulas get on board? Was it was it you guys reaching out to them or them reaching out to do combination? Could you walk us through how that came to be? It, it, it was the perfect intersection of uh, preparation, luck, fate, you know, whatever. Uh, Terry Pagula's young, uh, oldest son, Michael, used to come to hockey camp at Penn State. Uh, Terry was a Penn State graduate, loved hockey, um, and uh, – Francis LaChapelle, who was the coach at St. Bonaventure for years and years, um, used to bring his whole team down to our camps. And Michael Pagula was part of that. And then the Pagula family have, had a house here in State College. They were big football fans, but also used to come to watch the Icers play at Greenberg. And one day, Terry called me up out of the clear blue sky and said, you know, you're not going to remember me. My kid came to your hockey camp. He'd come see the Icers play. Why are we not playing Michigan and Ohio State and Wisconsin? And, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, if I had a dollar for every one of these calls. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he invited me to go out with him to have a steak dinner in town. Uh, there's, there's a lot more to that story, but we don't have time. But it was kind of funny. Uh, because I, I always tell my wife, who did not want me to go, can you imagine if I wouldn't have gone? <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> and, uh, so we ended up getting together with our, our uh, president and our athletic director and the head of fundraising. Now, that was in 2005. I was still the coach of the Icers at that time. Right. But I, I soon uh, switched uh, careers and became a fundraiser for athletics. And it was because I did that, it just kind of all was weird that it all happened at the same time. And I got to spend a lot more time with Terry and his family. Um, it still took us five years. You know, I'm a slow worker in that regard. So, but, you know, it, we, we had to keep, you know, making the, the pitch to them about what it was going to take, you know, how we were going to have to do this. And it was really, uh, you know, we had to wait until he either sold his company or he took it uh, public in order to have the money to actually make the gift. Well, he sold the company in May of 2010 for $4.7 billion. That's a billion with a B. And it was just a couple months later when we signed on the dotted line. He, I was literally finishing a tour of a Gannis Arena at Boston University with Mike Ruzioni. You may have heard of that guy. Uh, from the 80 Olympic team, who was a fundraiser there. And he gave us the tour of the arena, shook his hand, said, well, Mike, we're hoping for our own miracle on ice. Uh, we're hoping to hear from Terry Pagula any day now. Um, you know, thank you. And I walk across Commonwealth Avenue, get halfway across the street. My phone dings. It's from Terry Pagula. And it says, just signed hockey agreement 
great day for hockey in Happy Valley. And I mean, the, the tears just flowed. I mean, it was like, oh my gosh. Like, and you know, you, and I couldn't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it, it was, it was about a uh, three weeks later when it, you know, it was all official and we had a press conference and, uh, you know, I, I still say I, I, I've never, uh, never recovered. My jaws still hurt from smiling so much yeah. from, uh, from when all that happened. Well, I coach, I don't have my glasses. So I was looking through your book and in your book, does it detail how to persuade someone to give you a hundred? Cause I'm going to highlight it and highlight it and highlight it. Cause that could come in handy. Hey, now, hey, 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 Jay, Jay, it's right here. See coach. I got it right look here. At it, look at that. Uh, I love it. It's right find, here. Find, it, it, find the page. Like chapter two of attitude. That's right there. So, yeah, that, that that perseverance thing makes a big difference. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You know, I, I will tell you, it it really comes down to, from my standpoint, with anything you're trying to raise money for, it's why this, why now, all right. And it's 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 finding that what I find a lot of fundraisers do wrong is, you know, they they say I got this need. And, and I got to get it from that person. And it, it, to me, it's all about matching up somebody's passion and loyalty. It's not just about loyalty, right? Because it, most people that have that kind of money, you know, the Ralph Engelstats, who, you know, he donated, you know, even more money to North Dakota to build their arena. Um, you know, you have uh, uh, somebody like Phil Knight at Nike, you know, he gave a, a, a $100 million gift to Oregon, right? And uh, and then T. Boone Pickens was the other one that gave a $100 million gift, and that was to Oklahoma State for their athletic program. So there haven't been a lot of those what I call mega gifts, but the ones that are out there, usually it comes down to a little bit of luck, no doubt. You got to be serendipitous. But we had had the plans. We already had done all of the, the um, you know, blueprints of what a rink would look like, how much it would cost. Never... And I think we'd end up with, you know, somebody saying, hey, you know, here, here's $102 million to fund scholarships, you know, get coaches, et cetera. And oh, by the way, you got $90 million. Here's a lump of clay, <laughs> you know, go design you know, a double sheet hockey arena. And wow, just uh, so blessed to have been a part of that. It was amazing. That is amazing. It is amazing. So, Coach, we've talked <clears throat> about NCAA expansion with past guests uh, like Coach Gotkin from Mercyhurst last week. We, we talked to him. Rick's a good um, friend. Oh, yep. great guy. Uh, and, and we even talked to the co College Hockey News, uh, Adam Odon, about that as well. Does Penn State provide a blueprint for other brand conferences like the Pac-10 or the SEC and how to jump into big-time college hockey? Yeah, I, I, I think there is, to a certain extent, there, again, there aren't a lot of Terry Pagulas out there, but that doesn't mean you need, you know, you don't automatically have to have that. Look at what happened in Arizona State. I give Greg Powers and his people, you know, they spent a lot of time picking our brain, talking to us. And I, you know, hopefully I'm not speaking out of school, but if it, you know, if COVID had not happened, I think we'd already be talking about Illinois having a varsity hockey program. They were that close before COVID hit. And now, you know, who knows? It's, it's, it's probably a lot of things are going to be put back, you know, on the back burner till things settle down. But, you know, I, I do think that hockey is one of those sports 
that if done properly, it can pay for itself, right? And there aren't a lot of sports that can. And so I, I do see, you know, where uh, someday, uh, especially in the Big Ten, um, Nebraska, you know, a lot of people don't know this. They put ice in their basketball arena, okay? So they already have that part of it done. All they got to do is kind of raise the money for, you know, the the equipment and, you know, the uh, coaching salaries and the scholarships, that sort of thing. Not that that's easy. Don't get me wrong, but it's, you know, they're, they're way out ahead. You know, there's, there's been talk for years about Iowa state and maybe Iowa, you know, Iowa to me makes perfect sense. Illinois, same way. They're right in the middle of the USHL. Right. So um, I could see that happening. Uh, I also could see, you know, pre-COVID, uh, where the pack, uh, you know, 12 could have, you know, a couple more schools. You know, you look at Utah, Utah State, right? Washington, Stanford, all of those schools, you know, you already have Arizona State. Wouldn't take much for Arizona. We know. I mean, if somebody would have told you, you know, 30 years ago that Arizona or Arizona State was going to be a varsity program first, everybody would have picked University of Arizona because they had the arena, right? But funny things have happened. So we'll see. It's not an easy thing to happen, but it can. And with enough people with passion and, you know, if the NHL continues to support, um, you know, trying to help connect schools to donors and sponsors. And because I think coming out of COVID, you're going to see some changes one of which is uh, schools have been a little bit uh, unwilling to to take do naming rights for college athletic facilities. I think that's all going to change. I don't think schools are going to have a choice going forward um, because of this hiccup, you know, that the COVID caused. Hey, right. coach, just one quick before we move on. If you could, I mean, and I know we have like there's six power conferences in NCAA division one sports. Um, if you could pick one that doesn't sponsor hockey now, like the sec, the PAC 10, the, the, you know, the mountain, whatever it would be. Yeah. What do you, what do you think would be the one that would actually really start to bloom here soon? Well, I, I, I will tell you that I think from a money standpoint and just from a number standpoint, the sec could do it. Um, there's no doubt in my mind. They, you know, typically they only have 16 to 19, 20 sports and adding, you know, hockey, uh, you know, in, in Georgia, you know, and, and in Texas, um, I, to me, it wouldn't take much for them to, to have that happen. Um, Could you imagine the rowdy crowd at Alabama? Oh, you know, again, people don't know those programs already have great club programs. They get three and 4,000 people with their club hockey games. Yeah. It wouldn't take much to get that up to that next level. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll see. I think post COVID, a lot of things are potentially going to change. Maybe there'll be opportunity. Do you you think that's something that has, I guess, hurt Huntsville? The lack of, of, I mean, I know there's much more to it than that, but is that something that could have, I guess, from a financial standpoint, hurt Alabama Huntsville and that there's nobody really around? I mean, look at the the Alaskan schools 
that they go under, they go back, they go under, they come back because yeah. the, the expense of travel, the expense of just being that far away. And in Huntsville's case, there's really nobody else around yeah. from a Division uh, One no, standpoint. No, no doubt about that. And, you know, I, I do know that all of us in, that love hockey and love college hockey, you know, I'm wearing my college hockey, uh, you know, polo shirt as we speak. Um, it, you know, we, we want to be able to, we, nobody wants to see any of these programs go away. Right. We just want to see additional programs be added. And uh, certainly uh, if, if we could get, you know, a few more schools to, you know, make the jump, it, it would help. Right. I mean, do, do you guys remember when uh, U.S. International had a Division One hockey team out in San Diego back I, in the day? I, no. About that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, so anything is possible. All you got to do is you got to find a champion within there has to be somebody at the school who is willing to fight the fights. Cause there's always going to be battles. I mean, Greg powers and I, when he was at Arizona state, I said, Greg, there will come a time when everything will look like it's going to, it's going to line up and this is a done deal and something is going to come out of the blue. That's going to throw you for a little bit of a, you know, curveball. And it happened. Okay. Uh, I won't say what happened, but he was prepared. They were ready to deal with it because they, I said, look, until the, the ink is dry on the paper, you don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, because look, there's academic uh, people that, you know, they're, that, that's money that should go to the library. It should be going to scholarships, blah, blah, blah. There's other varsity sports that are like, wait a minute, you know, why is hockey getting this all of a sudden? We went through that here. Not everybody was happy that hockey became a varsity sport. Um, but it, you know, it worked out. Uh, it's again, you, you absolutely need that champion internally and externally, right? You don't just need the donors and, and the, the passion person like myself and a Greg Powers and, you know, the people, you know, and Al Murdoch at Iowa State, those sorts of people, you know, Steve Cady at Miami of Ohio. Uh, you, you need to have that person in the administration that's willing to help you know, kind of clear the, the path for you and get, get you over a lot of the hurdles that you're going to run into. Gotcha. So in 2013, you're brought on board with the Sabres, the VP of Hockey and Business Administration. What, what do you enjoy? What did you enjoy about the business side of the game? Well, it, it's, I, I think when I look back at my own career, really, it's, it's what I spent most of my, even, even when I was a player, I was the vice president and then the president of the hockey club. Right. So it was always involved in the money, the fundraising, the sponsorships, that sort of thing. That's what I did when I was with the Penguins. And even, you know, people don't realize with the with the Icers, when I coached at Penn State, I mean, we had to raise several hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, now we were lucky because we 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 got good crowds. We, we generated revenue from ticket sales, but it also allowed us to sell sponsorships. Right. And uh and then when I became a, a, the head of the Nittany Lion Club, it, it exposed me to a whole different world. You know, all of a sudden I'm fundraising for 29 varsity sports. The most important one, of course, was football. And you start to see, you know, the potential for, wow, you know, this is a whole different world. There's lots going on here. And, and I think Terry Pagula looked at me and said, well, you know, hey, here's a guy to talk me out of $102 million. <laughs> And, and uh, you know, so I went up there initially uh, because of Harbor Center 
um, you know, because we had just built the little ice arena. We built the double sheet ice rink uh, in Harbor Center, which is attached to the Sabres arena. What what ended up happening, and, and it's funny, I, I still remember having this discussion with Kevin Colbert, who's the general manager of the Steelers, who's a friend of mine, and oh, by the way, is a bigger hockey fan than he is a football <laughs> fan. A lot of people don't know that his, he, when he retires. They do now, take... Joe. They do now. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. So, you know, he talks about owning his own, uh, you know, uh, minor league hockey franchise someday, but but he played, uh, we, he and I played together on this Pittsburgh charity celebrity hockey team. And so I called him up and, and explained a little bit about the job I was going to have. And he just warned me, he's like, whoa. You know, being that go between the hockey department and the business department, eh, it sounds good on paper. So you are going to be in the middle of a lot of battles. Boy, was he right. <laughs> but you know what? I don't I don't regret, you know, any of those experiences that I had. You know, I, I, I wish the Sabres were doing better you know, now. I mean, the, it's just it's disappointing because, you know, obviously the Pagulas have figured out the formula to get the bills, you know, who had missed the playoffs for, you know, 25 years in the NFL, you know, but right now they're going through a tough streak with the Sabres, you know, I'm hoping they can get that ship turned around, whatever they did with the bills, they got to do that with the Sabres. What what do you think the the Buffalo market has going for it? If they're going to end up looking at a a total top to bottom rebuild, what does the Buffalo market bring that can, I guess, help in that? Yeah. Well, First of all, anybody that's ever been there, it's a very underrated city, okay? And especially after all that the Pagulas did down at Canal Side. And I don't know if you guys have been up there since Harbor Center was built. It's beautiful, okay? That that area, you know, what they're doing with River Works and uh, all all that whole area downtown, uh, they've really done some great things. And it's in a great location. You get fans coming over from Hamilton, Niagara Falls, you know, it, it's just a great hockey environment. I, I, I tell, try to tell people as much as like, if the bills win a Super Bowl, obviously things will go nuts, but that's a hockey town, right? Yeah. It really is. And, and it just would, uh, I think if the Sabres would get to that point where they would compete for a, uh, a Stanley cup, you would see immediate uh, benefits to Canisius and to Buffalo State and maybe SUNY Buffalo, you know, University mm-hmm. of Buffalo, who, you know, we, we had some talks with them. Uh, when Danny White was the AD there, we met with them several times about the possibility of University of Buffalo becoming a Division One hockey program. And, you know, it, all it takes is a little bit, right? A little bit of heat applied here, a little pressure over here and diamond can be made right yeah <laughs> so I, i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna say it. i'm gonna get you off hockey but i'm really not because i'm sure the book was written because <laughs> of all your experiences so all these amazing experiences in the game of hockey led you to become a author and speaker and and, and coach you and i have worked at usa hockey uh symposiums together and, and i've every time that i'm free i always find my way into your 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 talks i, I will tell you likewise um, <laughs> so tell us how the idea came about the power of pragmatic passion. Yeah. It, you know, it was really, uh, I was motivated by my own children. I have three kids. 
<laughs> none of whom gravitated to hockey. Uh, I used to laugh, but here I am. I have the keys to the rank and none of my kids want to play, right? Uh, they, you know, they each found their own sport. My daughter played, you know, she figure skated. The boys played, uh, you know, hockey for a little bit. We play now, outdoor, we played more outdoor hockey guys this past winter on my friend's outdoor rink my boys my one my youngest son said to me you should have made me play hockey i wanted to kill him <laughs> but anyway, um i i saw what they were being told when it came time to figure out what's after high school like what what do i want out of my life those sorts of things and you start to realize that uh, guidance counselors today i have the utmost respect for them because they have an impossible job and most high schools, and I'm sure you you know this, in most high schools, you have one guidance counselor to like 250, in the public schools at least, to 250 to 500 students. What kind of guidance can they really give a kid? They don't know the kid. They don't know what makes the kid tick. you know. And so I was motivated by that. And I was also motivated by the fact that I saw so many former athletes who had you know, a lot, everybody reads about the ones that had the great experiences. We don't read about the ones that made mistakes. They picked the wrong school, the wrong program. They, they, they did it for all the wrong reasons. And I said, look, there's got to be a better way. So let's start off by figuring out what matters most, right? What, you know, because so I came up with these seven principles. They spell out the word passion. And the first one is purpose. You got to know what you want. And we don't teach kids. Heck, we don't even teach adults that, right? I just did an executive education program for our College of Business here. We had 17 CEOs, vice presidents, you know, directors on here. And the thing that they remembered most from the talk was writing up your own personal mission statement, doing your own personal core values. All their companies have those things, but none of them had it. So I said, you know what? This is kind of my next calling. I, I, I've always wanted to help people. So I'm going to try to help people figure out what it is that, that lights a fire under them. And I don't like the, the term, find your passion. Okay. That's why I called it pragmatic passion. Too often we just tell a kid, Hey, just do what you love, you know, find your passion, you know, and everything will work out great. That's not always true. Okay. I'm never going to sing in Carnegie hall. All right. Even though I may want to do it, may dream about doing it with this voice, you ain't getting me nowhere near that. Place. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so the, what I try to say, OK, yes, you can be anything you want to be. You should follow what you But, you, you know, at the end of the day, it still has to pay the bills, too. Right. You still got to find something. And, and just you don't have to find that perfect thing when you're 18 years old. Right. This is a process. And it starts off, what's your purpose? The second principle is attitude. The third is sacrifice. You know, we all know, you know, uh, you can dream all you want. If you're not willing to put the work in, if you're not willing to say no to get to your yes, it ain't going to happen. All right. The fourth one is servant leadership, which is all about being able to, you know, putting other people first. Then it's uh, inspiration, which is having mentors and coaches in your life that are going to help guide you through the tough you know, waters that, that we all inevitably go through. Options is the O, and that's really about decision-making, developing better options, making more informed decisions. And then the N stands for nurture everywhere except in Nebraska, where it stands for knowledge, 
I had to say that. Right? I just, no, no offense to the Nebraska people. That was just a joke. But nurture, nurture means never stop learning. So it, it spells out the word passion. And what I try to tell young people in high school, in college is, look, you don't have to have the exact answer, but the more we can narrow the parameters, the, the pro, we have a process. We know what you want. We know what matters to you. You do the research. We're going to help, you know, make the choice better, you know, because again, college isn't even for everyone. We, we, we have this fallacy in this country that the only way to be successful is you have to go to college. And that's not true. I know plumbers, electricians, you know, plenty of, you know, labor people make lots of money and have a good living with good benefits, right? And they're still able to pursue their passion. Maybe they're playing in a band on the weekend. Maybe they're coaching high school hockey or travel hockey, whatever it might be. There's different ways for that to all happen. And I said, you know, God gave me this, this gift and, you know, uh, the face rate made for radio, as we said before. All three, all three of us on this is a yeah, radio. Well, and, and, you know, <laughs> truth hurts, but <laughs> too many pucks to the schnoz. Uh, and, and so I, I just want to help. I, you know, I'm at a stage in my life where, thankfully, my wife and I were savers and, you know, we invested well. And I, I've, I am blessed. And I just feel like, you know, I, I'm not in this anymore to like, you know, become the next Tony Robbins or something like that. Right. Um, if that's meant to happen, it'll, it'll take care of itself. I'm in it because I want to help some young lady or some young man make a better decision about what they want to do in their life that's going to lead to a joyful, meaningful, purposeful life and, and make people understand that, you know, they'll, they'll look at themselves saying, oh, you know, I don't really, my job's not really exciting. You know, I'm a supply chain guy for, you know, Amazon or FedEx or something like that. And you sit there and say, wait a minute, bring your, your passion in you, you bring that passion to that job because your job does matter. Okay. You may see yourself only doing numbers, this and that, but you know what? It's paying your bills. It's providing your family a roof over your, your head. It, it's getting you medical coverage and it's going to allow you to pursue your passion at some point. We just don't all get to do it when we're 18 years old. Some of us, yeah, it doesn't happen to, you know, I, I got to tell you, I never thought I'd write a book. Now it's so, that, like, that, so that was going to be my question to you. I mean, yeah. so you never thought you're going to read a book, but Right. You you ran into John Bacon, who is a New York Times bestseller. He wrote Fourth and Long. Yep. And he writes this unbelievable forward in your book. So was was he like the catalyst to help you write this or give you the I don't want to say I, God forbid I use the word passion talking to you, but you, you know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean so <clears throat> did like how did you decide to write the book? Well, he, I tell you, he, he had a big part in this, not just writing the Ford. You know, I, I reached out to him and said, you know, I, I'm thinking I, want, I might want to write a book. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to coach hockey necessarily the way I all, you know, did before, but I want to coach and I want to coach people and I want to coach young people, you know, and I see the book as being a vehicle to allow me to do that. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, so he, he recommended a couple of boys he said, there's this one book. It's, you know, 78 reasons why you shouldn't write a book and 14 reasons why you should. He said, now, if you read that and you, you see, because it's difficult, guys. I, you know, I don't know if either of you have ever write, written a book or you plan no. to. If you do, talk to me. I'll save you lots of time. <laughs> Coach, how long did it take you to write the book? Uh, about a year and a half. Now, okay. I, did, I did put a, a pause on it. 
because I ended up taking a full-time job. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and actually it's kind of interesting that, that writing the book made me realize I took that job for all the wrong reasons. It, 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 was, it was simply to pay bills at that point. And I was like, you know what? I'm at my, this stage of my, my life. I don't want to go to a job every day where I just don't feel like I'm making a difference. You know, and that, that, that was going to be one of my questions. And, and, you know, I've, I've read, I've read this book twice. Wow. Um, and I plan on reading it again. And, and it's, it's, it's a book that for our listeners out there, and I'm not just saying this, Joe, cause you're on, on our podcast, but it's a book that really kind of resets who you are, uh, and what you want to do. Um, you know, and I, I've, I, I've read it once and then two years, two years later, I picked it up again and read it again. Right. But that, that makes me feel good, coach. It really does. It means a lot. But it's it's, it's the truth. Way. So so I know what I learned from reading this book, and it's the same information I read twice already, and I'll read it again. But what did you learn from writing the book? So you write all this great stuff, but you had to learn some things from it as, as well. Oh, absolutely. I, I learned I had to be authentic. Like, you know, you look in the mirror, we all know the mirror test, right? You got to like the person that's staring back from, you know, at you. And, you know, I, I kept thinking, all right, so what do I do with my life right now? You know, because here I was, I, you know, I worked for two NHL teams, helped start a division one hockey program, helped start the AC. It's like, you know, I got, I got the legacy thing covered. I got it. You know, I can just, you know, take my ball and go home and play golf and, you know, never there. It was like, all right, no, I, I am meant to do something more. There's a, a different calling, right? There's something. And, uh, but I had to overcome the imposter syndrome. It's like, well, who, why me? Like, why would anybody listen to me? Who am I? There's lots of other people that have better stories than I do, but they don't have my story. And if my story can help, inspire some young person or an adult that's you know going through the midlife crisis or even which which has always amazed me the number of retirees who like my book because they're looking for that encore career volunteer thing that they want to do and it's like well how do you know what it is and i kept saying okay well how did i figure it out you know and so i tried to reverse engineer it and then i started doing research and, you know, you start finding things like the passion paradox, right? Where this whole idea of just, you know, find your passion. No, no, create your passion, right? Design a life, bring the passion you have in you and apply it to other things. And so I, I, I kind of learned that, you know what, I, I, I can do this. I, I, I you know, the same um, type of culture that we created with Penn State hockey it needed to start there. It needed to be, okay, I got to stand for something, right? And I, and I, what's the message going to be? And who am I going to try to get it out to? And I will tell you, if I do it all over again, I, I wouldn't have written as elaborate a book for the first book. I think I would have. Now you it. tell me this. Now you tell me this. <laughs> <laughs> well, only because, only because I think, um, I tried to be everything to everybody. As a matter of fact, John Bacon said to me, would you quit trying to write the book and just write a book? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> and I'm not, I, I, I am, my next uh, couple of books, coach, are going to be uh, Pragmatic Passion for Student Athletes, awesome. uh, Pragmatic awesome. pa Passion for Retirees, 
Um, and I hope that I'll be able to keep going. You know, I, I might be doing one specific to uh, military personnel because they have their own sets of challenges, right? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you think about it. I, I was blessed. Uh, a buddy of mine, Brad Mitchell, got me involved in the National Athletic and Professional Success Academy. And we worked with uh, former NFL football players who, you know, football was their lives. It's how they identified themselves, right? And all of a sudden, and it's, it's a cruel world, you know, it's not like in hockey where, you know, you sign a five-year contract, your contract's guaranteed in the NFL. Not too many of them are guaranteed. You get cut, you're done. And the challenges that I saw these elite world-class athletes struggling to figure out what was next, right? Well, military people go through that. You know, people that are police and firemen, um, college athletes go through that. You know, you're you're on that stage where you're the you know big person on campus, right? All right. of a sudden, you know, you're thrown into the regular crowd, right? Well, that's okay. You you have to learn to use all those skills, all the the knowledge, the the you know just the the competencies that you gained from being whether it was an athlete or you know, in theater or music or whatever it is, you have all those skills and let's just apply them to something else. That's all. It's yeah, just yeah. different. We're going to reframe it. We're going to figure it out. And that's, you know, so I, I think what I've learned is that I, I you know, I got to walk that fine line between, I don't want to burst somebody's bubble. I don't want them to not have big dreams. I just want them to keep it real. Okay, that that's the thing. And then the most important part is get it done. You know, my it says dream big, keep it real, get it done. It's that execution part where most people get tripped up. They have a dream, they have a plan, they just never act on it. So so that that get it done part. And and I will tell you, I had this aha movie moment as we've all been watching movies or TV shows and and you know, whatever a suspense movie going on and and the camera hands over to like whatever it may be. Right. So the first time I read the book coach, um, you know, get it done all, you know, whatever, all that stuff. And, and I'm not going to spoil the book for our listeners. I really want them to, uh, to find the book and read the book, but I, I put the book down and I put it face down, just whatever, just put it down. And I went to grab it. And on the back of the book, it says passion is not enough. And that was an aha moment for me. That's the reason why I read it the second time. Wow. Wow. And so that's powerful. That's it's powerful. the truth though. It's the truth yeah. because the, the power of pragmatic passion, I, I kind of read it truthfully the first time. And I want our listeners to hear this. When you read it for the first time, don't just read it at what are, what are you passionate in? Because passion is not enough. Mm. What are you passionate enough to get done? Yes. <laughs> get it done. And, and so that was the aha moment for me. I read it a second time and, and it's a good read. It's a, it's a great read. And, and coach, where can, where can our listeners, if they don't know, where can they find the book? Yeah. It, it's not like it's flying off the bookshelves at Barnes. Well, and it should be, it should be, but, but I will tell you, so you can get it on Amazon and, and there, and I do have the audio version of it. If you think you can put up with this voice for a couple of hours. Hey, Jay, um, that Jay, that one's for you. Love that one's for you. <laughs> like the audio version? I will listen to this voice forever. I'm, I looked up at the time on accident and I went, oh, we're just getting started. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, um, you know, but anyway, you can get it on Amazon, but it's $24.95, you know, there. If you go to my website, which is pragmaticpassion.com, it's already discounted to $19.95, and I will give your listeners a code. If you at checkout put in PASSION5, PASSION with the number five, it'll give you an additional $5 off and you can get the book for $14.95. Again, my, at this point, I just, you know, if I can have a little bit of money coming in, hey, that's great. I want kids to get it. I want parents to get it. I want retirees to get it. I want people going through a career transition to get it because the whole purpose of it is, like you just said, it's passion is not enough. It has to be uh, in partnership with a real life plan, which means you got to do the tough stuff, which is, I call it the you review, where you have to lock yourself up in a room and it's just you get rid of the digital distraction device, any of them, the tablet, the phone, the laptop, I don't care. Maybe put a little instrumental music on the background, tell everybody, leave me alone. I do not want to be interrupted for the next hour or whatever it takes. And you start asking yourself those tough questions because the book, as you know, yep. it's an interactive book. You're, yep. It asks you questions, you're supposed to answer them, right? And you can go on the website from the codes in the book and you can print those forms over as many times you need them. The goal setting forms, the values exercise, um, how to write a personal vision statement, how to do a you review, all those things are in there. And I just want to help people. Uh, that, that, that to me is how I get my uh, you know, joy and my meaning and, and my purpose right now is, yeah. is to be able to you know, hear people like you say it made a difference in your life. That, that just, well, it, it gives me chills. It's like winning a big game. No, it, it absolutely did. And coach, I, I like, I, like I, I told you earlier, I mean, you and I have done many USA hockey stuff together and, and listening to you and then being able to have opportunity to read the book. And, and sometimes I gotta be honest with you. Sometimes I lost focus in the fact that I actually knew the person that wrote the book because it was just, it was like you said, it was very interactive and, and um, you know, but that, that everything we talked about today um, with the hockey and, and then, your, your, your fundraising and your, your uh, hockey and business administration. And then the book, it all comes back to this passion and get it done, whatever it may be. You know, you mentioned college might not be for everybody because our trades, we need trades people out there right now. You know, I work at, I, I work at an all boys high school coach and I tell these kids every day, don't be afraid of the trades. Yeah. There, there's a great book. It's called other ways to win. All right. And uh, written by Ken Gray. Um, there's, uh, oh boy, I'm going to, Kevin Fleming uh, also write, wrote a, a book. And actually he's got a great video, Kevin Fleming um, on, you know, here's, here's the opportunity cost sometimes of going to college when you really don't know what you want to do. And you come out a hundred thousand dollars in debt. You have a degree that you really didn't have any enthusiasm for, and all of a sudden, hey, why is the money not rolling in, right? right? And so I think it gets back to, and one of the things I say in the book is college isn't for everyone, at least not at 18. I love the hockey world that a lot of our kids will take that gap year, and in some cases, two years of a gap year to kind of grow up 
and, and really think about what it is they want to do. And there's a reason why the NCAA men's and women's hockey players are among the highest GPAs and graduation rates in the NCAA. It's because of that, right? Yeah. That they're a little bit older, a little bit mature. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and, you know, again, the other thing is we go through stages of our life, right? And it's, it, you're going to, different things are going to be accomplished at different times, right? Don't be in such a hurry to become the CEO. We, we don't all get to be that, you know, two years after we get out of college. Right, right, right. So. Coach, one of the things you said I, I wanted to, I guess, touch back on, I apologize for keeping you so long, but no, my was when, when you said you were writing the book and you took a break from it, you put it on pause to take a job, and then you realized that, that jo- you took that job for all the wrong reasons. Did that help you finish the book? Did it Absolutely. give you a different perspective on the finish? Like, I'm sure when, when you planned it out, you had a start and a finish, and you understood the progression you were going to go through. Did that pause and everything that t- went on during that pause, did that change the way you wanted to finish the book or how was the yeah, fin- it, how did it, the finish it, come about? Basically? Well, one of the things I can tell you is I wrote up, I, I write my goals down. I tape them to my mirror in my bathroom so I can't hide from them. I got that accountability partner staring back at me, right? <laughs> Coach, I do the same thing, but I hide my face. That's why I do it. <laughs> So maybe that's what I should try. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I, I literally wrote down, you know, W T D B write the damn book. <laughs> it was like, all right, enough. It's time to, as coach said, get it done. And, but, but I will tell you, it, it, it made me go back and say, wait a minute, this is what I said were my five, core values, the ones that mattered to me the most, you know, my family, my faith, financial security, uh, fitness, which is health, and then fulfillment, okay, and I, and I think what I did was I kind of lost sight of the fact that, you know, all five of them should be in that mix when you're making that really tough decision, and I focused only on the financial part, it was a lot of money, you know, it was, you know, and, and, uh, I, I guess because of my stage of life, it was the wrong choice at that time. Now, it had been, you know, 15, 20 years earlier, maybe different. It just does. It didn't feel right. And I said, all right, if I'm going to be true to this pragmatic passion thing, well, I got to model it. I got to live it. Yeah. And I said, all right, you know, I saved enough money. I can do this. You know, I, I can, I've got my emergency fund stashed away. You know, the kids' college funds are taken care of my retirement fund's healthy. I can walk away from this job and I can write the book and and try to build up this pragmatic passion business, which by the way, was going gangbusters till COVID hit. (laughs) I got, I got, you know, I ran into a hot goalie. (laughs) Oh, oh, coach. A lot of us did coach. Coach, a lot of us did. Trust me. And and, you know, but, but all again, so what do you do? You persevere, right? You pivot. You, you, you call an audible, whatever you want to yeah, call it. You change the Ford check, right? Whatever. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's going to come back. I just, you know, I just had to make some changes and actually gave me an opportunity to, you know, polish up on my skills with virtual presentations and, you know, being on podcasts and YouTube and, you know, those sorts of things. And it get, get allowed me some time to start writing the other two books. So, you know, there, there's good that comes out of anything. And, and actually the biggest blessing for me I have three adult children and all three of them have been here with us 
since the you know uh, the pandemic started. But none, you know, my oldest two work full time. Neither one of them lost their jobs. They're working virtually. Uh, our youngest is. You know, it's funny. He he lives a mile away because he's the sophomore at Penn State. Yeah. <laughs> so, but he's here a lot, and this was a gift. You know, I mean, yeah. the fact that we've had them and to see my two older kids now being able to spend more time with their younger sibling, this would not have happened without the pandemic. Not that I'm glad that it, the pandemic happened, but you make, you know, when life gives you the lemons, you make lemonade, right? right, and, right. Absolutely. You know, so anyway. Hey, coach, we, we cannot thank you enough for coming on tonight, talking with pleasure. us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it's, it's such a refreshing, uh, uh voice and refreshing, uh, ideology that you throw out uh, at there. And, and so thank you for that. Um, I, I, I mean, Jay, I know I can speak for you. I can speak for Danny. I can speak for the entire, uh, listening group. I mean, we, let's do this again. Yes, please. I'm glad, please. glad to do it. And, you know, listen, it's again, the book is at pragmaticpassion.com. Just click on the book. Put that passion five code in. I personalize it. So if you want a message written to somebody, I'll do that. Right. And hold on. Uh, you didn't do it for me. You just said stay passionate. That's all you wrote. For oh, me. That's, well, this <laughs> next time we're at a coach's you make sure I do it. Right? Um, Damn, Joe, you know, come on, man. If you want to get a hold of me, just Joe at pragmaticpassion.com. I want to help people. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I am very passionate about helping student athletes. I am even more passionate about help, helping hockey student athletes, Absolutely. as you know. And so, um, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity. It's great seeing you both again. And thanks for doing this. It's it's needed. We, we all need to challenge ourselves. We need to keep educating ourselves. We all need coaches and mentors in our lives. And, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm blessed that I, that I know you guys and, and, and so many of the people in Ohio hockey that over the years have made a difference in my life. So awesome. Appreciate it. Well, thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again. That's you Coach. Thank, you, thank you, Coach. All right. Take care, guys. The third period of this episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League. The 2021 USPHL NCDC Combines are set to take place in Detroit, Michigan, April 23rd and 24th, and Chicago, Illinois, May 14th and 15th. Players born between January 1st, 2001 and December 31st, 2005 will be eligible. Limited openings available for all positions. The USPHL and its tuition-free division, the NCDC, are providing an unparalleled comprehensive on and off ice recruiting opportunity for players from throughout the United States. More than 150 players committed to college hockey over the 2019-2020 NCDC season alone. And there are currently over 50 Division I committed players skating in the NCDC. Register at www.usphl.com forward slash combines. Lev, I, I just don't even know what to say right now. I mean, that last hour was unbelievable. Uh, Coach just i mean he continues to just blow people's minds in such a good way and i i don't know i just man from his his start when he was at penn state then he jumped around and took these coaching jobs and then went back to penn state and then had this vision early in the early 90s of taking it to division one 
and 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 then decided, you know what, I'm going to get out in 2005, I believe he said, and start fundraising, and then been able to ink the deal uh, with the Pagulas to make it Division One. And and I, I just, what a great conversation we had. Uh, and I hope our listeners, and again, we're going to use the term passion, but I hope the listeners could really hear uh, Coach Batista's passion, not only about Penn State hockey, not only about his book but about life and, and what we should do and how we should do it in life. Get it done. Like he said, helping people. I mean, we've had some, we've had some interviews on here that like they stay with you. That one is, and, and I mean, it's just top of the list. What he brings to the table, his zest for life, wanting to help other people. I mean, he's, he's bringing up, the good, I don't want to say the good and the bad. He's bringing up the good and the good where, where he had to help a player who we, happens to be from our area and make the decision that, that you know, maybe you need to step away from the game because you're going to be a doctor and that's what you want to do and that's what you're passionate about. And, and into bringing in the ability to raise the funds for a Division One program, a varsity program, as he calls it. But yet still, there's a reason his teams were winning. Yeah, and and, he is, and, and, he, I mean, he, you listen to him for five minutes. I feel like I won. I did nothing. I sat here and listened and asked questions. I feel like I won. He, he's an energizing figure. He's, he's an, I mean, he's, he's an inclusive individual. He brought us into his home. We didn't invite him over to ours. It was amazing. Yeah, no, you're, you're right, Jay. He just, I, I mean, there is, again, I've, I've, like I said, during the interview, I had a chance to, to work symposiums with him. And I find myself, and I told the story off the interview to him, I, I found myself standing in the back of his room, listening to him, and the guy that was running the USA Hockey Symposium is grabbing me going, dude, you're 15 minutes late for your <laughs> session. Like, I was, supposed to be, I was supposed to be talking to 100 and some coaches. Yeah. He, you're right. He, you, people just, I mean, he just gravitates the attention and that's, but in such a positive way, right? A million percent positive. Such a positive All way. All positive. And, you know, I, I, I really do. And, and, and again, I, I've, you know, I, I know I showed the book a hundred, you, know, you can't see the video, but I showed the book and, and that's, that is a true story. And to our listeners out there, I had to reset my life two years ago. And in that reset, uh, I needed, I needed something. And I, I reached back out to this book and I started to read the book again. And it was a something that just puts you in a right mindset of, of if you're passionate for something, then how do you get it done? Because like I mentioned, passion is not enough. That's what it's on the back of the book. And it, I highly suggest you go and get the book. I mean, for $14, and again, we're not here to push a book. We're not here pushing anything. No free ads, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. But, but for $14, I will tell you, this is a testimony for $14. It's the best $14 you've ever spent. Well, I was amazed at one that you could read and read the same book twice. Yeah, trust me. <laughs> First of all, I can read. I wanted you know, to say I wanted to I say that in the interview. <laughs> I'm not a reader, if you will. No, I get you. I'm just I kidding. do not like to read. However, when I find something that really – and again, it it, it, it it's not just – again – I think, I think this would appeal to everybody. 
But you yes. know, one thing though is I will say this though, and I, it's 325 uh, pages, but it's also double spaced and it's got pictures. So that's why I'm at uh, it. Perfect. 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 <laughs> it cuts it down. It's like 150 pages. What's yeah. the big deal? Joe's not stupid. No, he understands no. how to keep your attention. But a- you know, the other, the other thing too, though, is that in all the guys that we know that have played for him and that be it, you know, a lot of the nineties guys, um, they all sp- say the same thing about Joe. Hands down. I mean, they love the man for what, you know, you have to do the work, get it done to move on to your next path, whatever that may be. But he helped them while they were there and he continues to help them today. I mean, as he talked about the guys that he used to coach uh, at Kent state went back when he was there, I'm sure the guys that were at Culver when he was at Culver, you know, every, every place Joe Batista goes, Goodness is around him, and he brings that out. Well, in he you. creates I mean, it. He creates it. One hundred percent creates it. And and wow, I mean, when 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 we took a break after that interview, and, and you went and got you know where you went, and Danny says, uh, "You guys need to recap now. Do it while it's fresh." I mean, how? I mean, we, we're gonna we're gonna recap again next week for this week, and it's gonna be. I mean, we might take up all of our time. It was just that amazing. It was awesome. Absolutely. We'd like to thank Jim Mitchell, head coach and general manager of the new Cincinnati Cyclones USPHL for joining us and making the big announcement. Well, again, we can't thank uh, Joe Batista enough for coming on our podcast and talking to us about his life and his passion. And again, I hate to use the term passion with him because it's his drive. drive. Um, You know, and Penn State hockey and not only Penn State hockey, but uh, the ACHA, a driving force in creating the ACHA in 1991. And uh, just an unbelievable talk. And so, Joe, thank you for so much for coming on. Uh, next week, we will be on, and we look forward to continuing to grow the game as best as we can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. in your eyes, all up in your mind, angel in disguise, planets collide, stars in your eyes, all up in your mind, angel in disguise.